Hi guys, this is Tony from Shelf Help and welcome to our podcast, which just like the Shelf Help Club, is all about celebrating growth and change, healing and personal development, and ultimately inspiring better mental health through self-help. This show is born at the beginning of lockdown in the UK as a way to share strategies and advice on staying calm and positive and connected as we all navigated huge changes to our lives brought on by the pandemic. And that was six months ago, and we're still riding this wave of change, so we're still recording. We're now on our third podcast series, sharing inspiring but also practical life advice from our favourite authors and experts on how to handle 2020, as well as how to look forward to where we go and how we can grow from here. Today's guest, Jeff Krasno, has been a huge source of comfort and inspiration to me over the last six months, both through the interviews and personal musings he shares via his Commune podcast, and also the incredible online learning opportunities facilitated through his course platform of the same name. You can find it at onecommune.com, which features courses from some of the world's greatest teachers, thought leaders and guiding lights, including Marianne Williamson, Dr. Michael Bernard Beckwith, Deepak Chopra, Brendan Bouchard and Russell Brand. Jeff is also the co-founder and exec chairman of Wanderlust, the world's biggest series of wellness events. He's the author of two books and is part of the Super Soul 100, a group of 100 top entrepreneurs handpicked by Oprah Winfrey. Today, he's joining us live from LA. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the Shelf Help podcast. Well, thank you. And I need to borrow the clip of that introduction um, for another use because you've done it such an exemplary job, I must say. <laughs> and it's a lot to walk into, I suppose, but very happy to be here. From the beginning of lockdown, when you're talking about the bigger picture and like a greater perspective, I think it really gave me a lot of peace and helped me see things in a new light. I know a lot of my community as well have been um, learning and watching and also learning from the courses that you do. I'd love to know, first of all, really, just how the summer of 2020 has been for you and how different life looks now than maybe five or six months ago. Right. Um, Well, I'll start with something actually I haven't talked about at all um, anywhere else, which is I had COVID and it was debilitating. Um, I uh, have a very dear friend named Russell Brand who lives on your side of the pond. And we went to, ironically, a conference called the Conscious Life Expo um, in mid-February. And I received some form of viral load that, that was uh, of epic proportions. And I was absolutely flat on my back with every symptom in an acute way for two weeks and then suffered, uh, I would say, minor um, recurrence of these symptoms over a two-month period. So low-grade fever, intermittent sore throat, um, uh you know, complete exhaustion. I'd go out and try to take walks. I'd make it maybe a hundred yards and start sweating and have to turn home and, and lie down. And, um, and I'm healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. I exercise every day. I eat an exemplary diet. Um, I meditate. I'm 49 years old. I have no com- comorbidities. Um, and so I think sometimes it's important to to talk about it, although I haven't much, um, because it is real. And despite a very strong immune system, um, you know, 
I, I, I got the virus and it was significant. Um, and during that time, you know, I, I did everything, you know, I possibly could to, uh, around self-care, um, uh, you know, which included a- everything from alkalizing my body and, and drinking apple cider vinegar to, you know, high doses of lipospheric vitamin C to as much vitamin D as I could possibly muster, though it was cloudy and rainy um, during that that part of the spring. So we were taking supplements. I was um, taking saunas and I started meditating two, two and a half hours a day, which is something I had never done. I had always been sort of an intermittent meditator, but, um, but I really took it to, I suppose, the next level because here we were in, in this sort of global forced monasticism, um, you know, isolated Mm -hmm. and, and obviously doing less and, uh, but still, not impervious to 24-hour media cycles and hysteria and fear. And, and that was, you know, coming at me, um, you know, while I was sick. So, you know, I was just kind of managing the anxiety and the stress associated with that because at that juncture, and even still now, you know, we don't know that much about the virus, though, of course, we're, we're learning. Um, so, you know, that meditation... Um, that that period in which I was meditating uh, for for great swaths of time, multiple times a day, was incredibly helpful. I mean, I don't think without that tool, you know, I would have made it through with any degree of sanity and the ability to continue to be, you know, productive and, and useful. Um, and so that was a really um, that was a a critical time and a time that I, I won't soon forget. Um, so I, you know, I felt that over the course of lockdown and then into the summer, you know, what it's a time of great fear and uncertainty. And I felt that the best role that I could play during this time was to be uh, what I might call like a safe and thoughtful and researched and calm voice amidst the madness and what you know seems to be a, a, a can, um, an increasingly sort of tribalized and, and extreme and polarized society and really dedicate myself to thoughtful and researched work such that I could be that voice that people could rely on, um, you know, for, for information that wasn't overly biased, um, that was presented in a way that was even and, and relatively, uh, and had a degree of equanimity. And, and that really propelled me into writing this weekly article, uh, which I explore a, a whole host of issues you know, from COVID to the maleffects of social media, uh, the weapons, the weaponization of misinformation that sort of leads us to this kind of extreme, to take extreme views. Obviously, in the United States, there's been a huge 
reckoning around social justice over the course of the summer. So talked about that a lot. And then, you know, of course, channeled a lot of those musings into podcasts and podcast interviews with some some brilliant folks that I can I believe can set, shed light on some of those topics. And that's really just been my goal is to yeah, try to provide a, a bit of calm, hopeful um, intelligence um, uh, in the madness. Well, I think you're the best <laughs> the best advert for meditation I've ever heard because to do that while suffering from something yourself and like you said when there's still not much information and there's all the fear wrapped around it that's incredible to be able to offer that to to people I get the impression that you love doing your podcast the same reason I love doing this is because I get to talk to incredible people and learn from them do you think that um, the conversations you were having and the information you were able to share helped you stay calm absolutely and in some ways it kept me on um on a learning curve, because really I'm, I don't know anything, any, uh, I don't know anything more than anybody else at the beginning of the day. And hopefully by the end of the day, I've, I've progressed a little bit. Um, you know, I'm on a learning curve and part of hosting a podcast, as you say, is that, you know, I am interviewing people 10 times smarter than me all the time not just smarter, but with a particular kind of expertise. And just out of fear of pure embarrassment, I have to do so much research. Um, It speaks to my own vanity, I suppose. But just to even conduct a a coherent, you know, conversation with Charles Eisenstein or Deepak Chopra or Dr. Mark Hyman or whoever, you know, I have to, um, I have to read a tremendous amount and I have to do a lot of what I would uh, call like um, research in this sort of old journalistic um, definition of of the term, you know, really um, rely on multiple sources, do as much independent fact-checking as I, um, or or seek out as much independent fact-checking as I possibly can, um, really scour um, the internet and media for expert and reliable sources. It, um, in a way, yeah, just being able to throw myself into that process every week or multiple times a week, um, I think, you know, kept me, kept me sane on one level and then potentially sort of insane on another level because I'm always up against some form of deadline. Um, and um, I also, you know, uh, generously provide my personal email and sometimes my phone number uh, with every missive. So I'll get, you know, between 500 and 1,000 emails on Sunday and Monday, um, many of which are lovely. And, uh, and I suppose, you know, fuel the work slash boost the ego but but some of which are quite critical um and i've learned that you know i could say free ice cream and someone would be critical at this juncture you know that's just the nature of the invective of of media right now and certainly there's plenty of sugar in ice cream so there's probably good reason um but i have taken to 
responding to every one of those critical emails, provided that they are thoughtful and, and somewhat reasonable and not just Trump 2020 written 400 times across my screen. Um, and I so I respond to people on all sides of the political and spiritual spectrum. And in many cases, I put aside about 90 minutes a day on Monday and Tuesday to actually have in-person conversations with people that don't agree with me. And uh, boy, has that been a, uh, a growth experience for me. Um, a incredibly humbling. I often learn a tremendous amount. Um, you know, speaking directly with people that often take an opposing view um, is uh, is humanizing, and um, in a world that tends to dehumanize. So, and it fortifies, in in, in many ways, my own opinions because. I really understand the best parts and try to really listen and lean into the best parts of an opposing um, argument. And, uh, and that's been really helpful. And, and then I've also built some really lovely friendships with people that I really disagree with. And that is incredibly hard right now. And I suppose that would be some advice if, if you're looking for any, um, you know, that I would give to people is really try to get off of social media from time to time and really put yourself out there to engage with people wherever possible, one-on-one -on -one and in person. And obviously face-to-face -face is very difficult right now, which I think is actually what is feeding some of the polarization. Mm -hmm. But even on Zoom or on a phone call and uh, the feeling that you get on the other side of one of these deep uh, interactions is so much more fulfilling uh, than any kind of sparring all caps match that you might have on, on Facebook or even, you know, you know, topping your record amount of likes on, in, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been a, it's been a really worthwhile experience for me and I definitely recommend it for others community seems to be a large part of everything you do and everything you've always done whether it's the well-being events or with commune um building a community seems to be a really important part of it but um the decision to put your personal email and sometimes phone number is a really interesting one because i think so many people who work in in social media or media talk about you know setting your own boundaries and um i would imagine you have good boundaries generally with regards to your like self-care and your personal time. So yeah, really interesting um, decision. Did, could you anticipate this is what would have been the outcome? Not really, but um, what I've, uh, I think gravitated to very much um, with commune and also my own personal life. And there's, I suppose, a very little separation between the two. Um, and we could talk about that work-life integration or however you mm. want to frame that. But um, it, is that I'm very committed to creating forums for public discourse, for conversation. And, you know, I'm still holding on to 
the John Stuart Mill concept of the marketplace of ideas, that if we can really foster meaningful, thoughtful, researched conversations, then, you know, the best ideas will, you know, cream to the top. And, uh, and so I've really tried to leverage the platform and I suppose my own time into fostering that, uh, you know, a safe place to have conversations, to not worry that what you might say or, or, or what you say might be clumsy or not mm. age well, um, you know, in some ways trying to solve for kind of some of the illiberalism of the right and the cancel culture of the left and, you know, try to be able to really engage in some of these these thorny conversations because I really believe that that's, that's the only thing standing between us and the world our hearts know as, as possible. Uh, is being able to have these. And increasingly, it seems like there are fewer and fewer forums to be able to have these conversations. So I'm trying to figure out ways to to model that. Mm. And it's and that's the where the growth comes from, isn't it? Like you say, not being afraid to have a, to disagree with somebody or to have them disagree with you. Uh, moving our book club online has been really interesting because now we have conversations and there'll be perimenopausal women with millennial guys from different cities all over the world all talking about the same subject and it's all self-help and self-development so universal topics but very different perspectives of perspectives and it's really fascinating and I think everybody takes away more than they thought from it because being able to kind of embrace those different perspectives is is really brilliant um let's talk about work-life balance then which you just kind of touched on um because I did want to ask you as as a like a wellness warrior really what practices you use regularly obviously you've talked about meditation um i know you have a yoga background is there anything else that you've really relied on heavily in the last few months especially kind of for your mental health physical health emotional health yeah sure well i think the the topic that we just talked about i mean hard conversations i think are actually a personal development tool and they help you mm-hmm. cultivate humility and um and empathy and compassion and and those are things that i'm very interested in um i would say that you know i I come from a music background Uh, i was a musician growing up and ran a record label and a music management company for 13 years um and um so music plays a very um you know central part of my life too and it and it helps me um sort of you know disconnect and find beauty and find grace and i also leverage it for a meditation that i that i do and i can just describe it quickly Mm -hmm. if that's helpful for you yeah please okay so most of life from a sonic perspective, it is spent in, in kind of monophony. We just hear sound, the sound of life as one big wave. And when we focus the mind and become more aware, we can, be, we can begin to separate 
individual sounds across sort of an imagined soundscape. And even right now, I can hear sort of the whirring of the refrigerator sort of behind me to the left. In fact, it's whirring a little bit too loudly. Um, I can hear to in the front right of this soundscape some cars sort of kind of passing in and out. And if I really get quiet, I can begin to hear 12, 15, 20 different little micro sounds happening across this stereoscape. This is a wonderful um, technique to use in, in nature um, because you begin to hear and become aware of just the smallest rustlings that you know your mind would not otherwise hear. And what starts to happen over time is that you begin to be aware of life as this symphonic like polyphony of, you know, birds kind of cawing and moving in and out of consciousness, you know, phenomena, transitory phenomena sort of happening moment to moment. And you know, as a tool to bring you into uh, the present moment, it's it's absolutely fantastic, and, and it's amazing what your mind can do over ten or fifteen minutes of doing this. You literally can separate out all of these different tracks, as if you were sort of a music producer or engineer mixing a record. I did this actually by the poolside with my kids. Um, and I could start to isolate individual conversations that different families were having kind of across the scape. And it was amazing how, how apt the brain was at doing that. But I think where then, and it's just in and of itself, it's, a, I think, very, very useful um, tool or, or technique. But I think taking one step farther you can begin to think of feelings and emotions and thoughts very much the way you perceive these sounds within this technique, that your thoughts and your emotions are really the same thing as a cloud passing. You know, you are the sky. You know, your thoughts, these sounds, your emotions are just clouds. You know, there are transitory phenomena passing through your experience, your ability to perceive them in a moment-to-moment -moment kind of way. And, and this really helps for us to not identify with too heavily with our emotions. I mean, you know, often people use this uh, sort of a vocabulary technique uh, for this as well, instead of saying like, I am scared, or I am angry, or I am fearful, you say, I feel scared, you know, or I feel angry. And in a way that disassociates you with the emotion, because you are not that emotion. You, uh, you are just perceiving it uh, within the experience of what it is like to be you. And anyways, I, I, I think this, this technique helps one, like I said, sort of not identify with the fear. Because the second that you identify with the fear, you're reinforcing the notion of ego or self 
that there is this sort of locus that sits in your head or in your body somewhere that is you. Um, and, you know, as a fledgling Buddhist, um, you know, one knows that the self is illusory. And I think neuroscience has done a pretty good job at, at sort of proving that as well. But even just as a... Um, as a technique to cultivate the awareness of your separation from and disassociation from your emotions. I think it's really helpful. Rumi has that great poem about, you know, different emotions and fear as visitors in the house, but you know, mm. you're just, you're just the house, you know, the visitors just come and go. Yeah. I love that. And it, it leads really, it's, this is going to be an interesting next question then, because um, this is my favorite question that I ask people and the answers are all were so different. And it's, um, what is your relationship with yourself? But as to your point about the self just then, I mean, it'd be interesting <laughs> to see what you think about this question. Yeah. Well, this is a constant <laughs> uh, <laughs> process, right? I mean, yeah, it's taken me a long time to not just intellectually, intellectually understand, but also to feel the notion that we are just pure awareness, that consciousness is this experience of perceiving transitory phenomena. And, and when you are sitting in meditation, it's much easier to sort of grok that essence and to glimpse um, self-transcendence, a, a sort of feeling of connection to nature, to the universe, to fellow humans. Um, and I suppose that is the purpose of every religion on some level is is to be able to access that transcendent part of you that can glimpse, if not step into unity consciousness, Christ consciousness, Brahman, the notion that you are just sort of a modification of, of a bigger and more universal self. Um, so so that's, that's lovely when you're meditating. <laughs> and, um, and it's lovely to feel that sense of connection to nature and to your fellow human beings. But you also live in the world, um, unless you're a monk um, or a recluse, which I've considered both. But um, but I live in the world, and you know that particular human experience, which is based in kind of personhood, um, that this idea that your body mind is the sum of the contents of your consciousness, of memories and stories, some of which may be true, some of which may be exaggerated, some of which may be complete bullshit to actually mm -hmm. inform some narrative that you have around yourself. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a balance of understanding that the self is illusory but also kind of living within the world with some sense of 
purpose and meaning and, you know, really trying to live in alignment with your highest principles and engage in kind of ethical work and action, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as part of your, as part of this kind of daily, daily life. So, you know, the, obviously, as you can hear, I'm kind of thinking this out in public, but the, you know, I was very influenced by the human potential movement and, you know, by Maslow and, you know, the hierarchy of needs and, you know, I'm so fortunate to have most or all of my basic needs met on a, on a day-to-day perspective and, you know, have a great sense of belonging and community and sort of an intermittent (laughs) sense of self-love, which has sort of enabled me to explore ideas of self-actualization and self-realization. And I don't want to give anyone sort of the sense that I'm even remotely there. I mean, you know, I listen to Eckhart Tolle and I'm like, wow, that guy is, <laughs> he lives there. You know, exactly. I, I just sort of get a the briefest of glimpses into it from time to time. But, you know, but Maslow wrote kind of in his journals in later life that, you know, self-realization and self-actualization, that there is actually a step beyond that. It's not just good enough to live this kind of like contemplative and removed life that in order to, I think, really fulfill one's purpose and, uh, and nature, it is then taking that evolved self back into the world and doing what Mm -hmm. you can to alleviate suffering and foster the the flourishing of well-being for as many people as you possibly can or just your family or your loved ones but um but being really committed to your work and action in this lifetime Mm. well a a huge part of your um work purpose dharma i suppose if you want to call it seems to be around learning both yourself and then also inspiring learning um, with others so I'd be interested to know who inspires you now like how do you make sure you continue to grow and um, yeah kind of develop yourself is it um, is it reading is it is it the interviews is it is it going inwards yeah it is trying to refuel the tank um, a lot and and sometimes I have trouble doing it just given the amount, the 1,440 minutes that currently populate a day. Um, I'm also a father of three daughters and try to be a doting husband from time to time. But a lot of it, yeah, is, re, is ingesting as much content as I possibly can. Mm. Um, right now I'm reading a book called Small is Beautiful. Um, which has been recommended to me many times. I just started it last night. Um, mm-hmm. I also, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I love the format just because I prefer long form media um, mm-hmm. because it, it, it has a greater sense of, of nuance, which I think is missing in a lot of media right now. Um, you know, Sam Harris, who is a thinker, neuroscientist um, has been recently very 
influential on me. Don't agree with everything that he says or does, but uh, but a lot of it is fascinating, and he's been really um, influential on me. What do you? What would you say has been your biggest lesson from the year so far? Mm. Well, I think my lesson is perhaps not dissimilar to what a lot of people have learned um, in COVID. And I think about it in some ways as this kind of forced monasticism. I sort of, you know, use those that term jokingly, but, but not totally jokingly, because we've just been forced to do less yeah. um, in terms of, you know, travel, you know, eating out. Um, you know, a lot of these kind of what was kind of the normal things to do but in the end, we're not that fulfilling. And in a, a sense, like, you know, inconvenience and making do with less has uncovered certain priorities for a lot of people. Um, you know, certainly, you know, really digging in kind of with my family and spending so much time with them and cooking with them all the time. Yeah. Um, just even that in and of itself has been, you know, honestly, like a great blessing. Um, you know, not feeling the need um, to, you know, hop on an, an airplane and necessarily like explore the world in order to explore myself. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I, I don't, want to dissuade anyone from traveling and certainly I've done a ton of it and you know to learn about other societies and cultures has been eye-opening for me but there is a sort of feeling that one I think eventually lands into that you know God or truth is just where you are and that you don't necessarily need to go chasing it um that um, that some of the, the portals into a more contented life are just literally sitting there with you at home. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are some of the, I think, the, the primary lessons. I mean, I've, I think a local and simpler life is a better life. It is a, it's a life of more, honest and real community it tends to foster greater levels of civic engagement and involvement um, and you know i think that covid has really put a microscope to um, some of the ill ramifications of globalism hmm. um, from a corporate perspective and i think for many other perspectives as well and mm. this idea of kind of flourishing local economies and kind of the the reinvigoration of the local public square and the idea of like actually knowing your neighbor and knowing their name um, versus you know arguing with someone on Facebook who lives halfway across the world I mean yeah I think you know I'm, I'm hoping that to be honest, like we don't return to 
normal. Mm. Um, I'm hoping that we use this opportunity to write a new story that feels more connected and, um, and likely more local. I think what I'm hopeful for and what I would certainly um, encourage everyone to do is really commit them their, themselves to really being there for others in the most present and profound way and um and in in a way it's it's so hard in some ways you know i just watched this documentary called the social dilemma um and i've written kind of extensively about social media you know it, we are obviously beings that are wired for connection yeah. but we seem to be fooled by what real connection actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I am, I would just use this opportunity to really cultivate the ability to, or just cultivate time to be with people. Um, and almost like let go of issues of like scale or impact and just sit in the idea that the best impact that you can possibly have is just to connect with one person in a meaningful and profound way. Um, I've found that to be extremely fulfilling and important. We're talking about impacting people and Commune's mission, your mission, I suppose, is to bring well-being to one billion people worldwide and you're well on your way, which is amazing. Um, so hopefully this conversation will help uh, get the message to a few more people and introduce a few, a few more people to your amazing work. So um, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for all your wise words and um, for, yeah, everything you bring to the world. Uh, well, that's very kind and overly generous and... I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. So, how can we cultivate real connection and a more slow and local life? How can we be more present with those we love? How can we use what we learn through self-help to help others? I had so many takeaways from this conversation and I hope you did too. Let me know. For more like this, you can check out and subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify. And you can also connect with the Shelf Help family online via Instagram or our awesome membership community, the Shelf Help Clubhouse. For October and November, as a group, we're reading the Tony Robbins classic, Awaken the Giant Within. So if you're up for supercharging your self-help journey, join us for exclusive content and community and live check-ins. And to find out more about all the ways to get involved and stay connected, head to our website, shelfhelp.club. Thanks for being here.